A couple years ago, I was at the dentist, and I hate the dentist. But a good friend of mine happens to be a dentist, and we were out to dinner one night, and he said, how long has it been since you've gone to a dentist? Because I was sharing with him how much I hate the dentist, and I told him, and he said, you really need to come see me. I just don't understand why, with all the medical advancements we've made in the world, the best way to clean our teeth is still taking metal and scraping it against every part of our mouth. And, and then they're sitting there and they poke your gums. And if you bleed a little bit, they try to convince you uh, that's a good thing. And after the exam, he said, everything looks fine, but you really, you really should floss more. And it got me to thinking, you know, there's a lot of things that, that we should do. I should be better about flossing. I really hate flossing. I don't know that many people like to floss. I, I've met a couple people who are like, there's nothing better than the feeling that you get when you freshly floss. And I just feel like they haven't experienced enough true joy in their lives. But, I, I, you know, I'm not the best person at flossing. Some people are horrible sleepers. Um, you know, the doctors tell us that you should floss once a day, you should get eight hours of sleep a night, you should watch what you eat, you should work out regularly, and there's all of these things that we should do, and we know we should do them, but if we don't do them, it doesn't necessarily make us a bad person, it's just the reality that we know we probably should do a better job of that, but it's not something that we that we actively do as well as we should. And there, there are a number of those areas in all of our lives. And this morning, as we continue our look at the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and today as we start 2 Thessalonians, what we're going to see is that even in the Apostle Paul's life, even in his spiritual journey, there was an aspect of, of something that he should be better at than what he was. And let this be a source of encouragement for us. If this is true of somebody who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then how much more for each and every one of us? Are there things in our lives that we should do, but we don't always? And, and then we're going to see how that discussion morphs into how the Apostle Paul felt about these people in the city of Thessalonica who'd made the decision to follow Jesus and form the church and, the, and hence got the letters of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. So I'd invite you to follow along with us today on your phone or your tablet. And we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's available in the Bible app. Just search events and then type in the zip code 54201. 54201, pick Lakeside Community Church, and you can follow along there with us as we start today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, where we read these words. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. I love this. I love this concept. We ought always to. We ought always to give thanks to God to you. I mean, this is just raw honesty. It's not flattery. He's not telling them, oh, every single time we think of you. Now, again, we saw in 1 Thessalonians, he said every time we think of you and we think of you often, we give thanks. 
But the newness is gone, and, and the, the relationship is a little more familiar now. And just as any relationship, when things, when things progress and the newness wears off, some of those initial feelings that overtake us, they, they're still there and they grow deeper, but they manifest themselves in different ways. And here, Paul's just owning up to it. And he's saying, we ought to always give thanks to God, but the fact that he has to include this idea of we ought to do something lets you know that it's not something that he's actually actively doing. And this is raw honesty. And I love it because sometimes we all grow accustomed. Sometimes we all grow accustomed to what God has done for us. And we begin to lose sight a little bit of just how wonderful it is. And sometimes we get comfortable with the ways that God has blessed us. The newness is gone, and so it's just familiar. And in that familiarity... And with the lack of newness, we don't thank God for all the blessings that we have in the ways that we ought to do. And when the familiar comes, that doesn't mean that we're people of ingratitude. It doesn't mean that we're horrible people. It doesn't mean that we're not spiritual enough. It means we're human. And it means that the newness is gone. And so all the more reason we need to be intentional about taking time, and whether that's a day like we just celebrated a couple weeks ago, Thanksgiving, or whether it's another discipline in your life where you build in to express your appreciation uh, to God for all that he's done for you, whatever the case may be, it's a reminder to all of us that God has blessed us all immensely, immensely. And one of the ways that that the enemy tries to steal our joy from that is he loves to play the comparison game. And so he loves to remind us that, yeah, you've got some, but look at all the ways God's done more for other people. And all that comparison does, all that comparison does is it strips our joy and our gratitude from us every single time. And yet it's a tool that the enemy loves to utilize in our lives to come in and to subtly whisper, well, you could be given more. God could do more for you. Look at what he's done for this person and that person and, and, and look over here and look over there. And every time we play that comparison game, and every time we take our focus off what we have and instead compare it to someone who has more, the enemy comes in and he steals our joy and he robs us of the gratitude that we should have. So what I want to do right now is just pause and to just thank God for what he's given us. And if you don't know where to start, let me give you a couple places to start wherever you're watching this from wherever you're watching this from. The fact that you have been provided by God's shelter, that's a gift. And when's the last time you thank God, whether it's, it's for your apartment, whether it's for your house, whether, you know, what, wherever you live, whether it's for your parents' basement, wherever you live, when is the last time you thank God uh, for the shelter that you have? Another thing you can thank God for is, is the device you're watching this on, whether, whether that's a giant TV, whether it's a phone, a, a tablet, a computer, there are and just, just start to look around. These are things that we take for granted, and, and we get upset because somebody's got the newer model of, of the phone, and somebody's got the bigger house, and, and somebody has the, the nicer TV, and, and all those things, they can, just, they can rob us, and they can steal the joy 
from us because we grow accustomed to what we have. And in that process, if we're not careful, we lose the gratitude. And as the newness wears off, we just don't even think about it anymore. And so what I want us to do right now is just pause as people who've all been given immense things from God and just thank Him for what He's given us. So we're just going to, I just invite you wherever you're watching this from, just to silently uh, just spend the next 30 seconds or so in prayer and just thank God for what He's given. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And he goes on and he says, one of the things that we're so thankful about you for is the fact that your faith is growing. And how do we know that your faith is growing? Because your love is increasing. Your faith is growing, and we know that because your love is increasing. Now, sometimes people will ask me, how can I grow in my spiritual journey? Or how do I know when I'm becoming more and more like Jesus? If you want to know if you're growing in your spiritual journey, and you want to know if you're becoming more and more like Jesus, start with a very simple question. And that question is this, how well do you love people? How well do you love people? Because so often what we try to do is we try to turn spiritual maturity, we try to turn our our journey in following Jesus into a knowledge game, and that I've got to know more. I've got to know more. And understanding the heart of God is revealed to us in Scripture is essential. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it isn't. But we have also got to be reminded of the warning that we're given, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That was a warning written to the church in Corinth. That knowledge puffs up, but love builds builds up. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I've been a part of a church. I've been a part of a church that prided itself on biblical knowledge. And it, it was wonderful in the ways that it taught scripture. And yet, and yet, the entire, the entire litmus test for spirituality was how much you knew. How much Bible did you know? How many verses could you memorize? How many verses could you spit back out at somebody in a situation? And knowledge became the end game. And in the process, it was one of the most unloving environments I've ever encountered. And we completely missed our mark. We completely missed our mark. This disconnect, it can't exist because the proof, the proof of a faith that is growing is that there is an increasing amount of love. The proof of faith that is growing and maturing is that love is increasing. And he goes on in verse 4 and he writes, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. He says there's something different about you. There's something different about you. We tell everyone about you, even though times are tough, even though your lives are less than ideal right now, even though you are facing circumstances that we wouldn't wish upon people that they would have to face, even though you're going through all of those things, you refuse to blame God. And you just keep loving each other. And in a year that's been so challenging for people, in a year that's been so hard, I just want to encourage you 
Just love each other. Just keep loving each other. And it's not that it's going to make every situation you find yourself in easy. It's not going to mean that everything's going to instantly become ideal. But what it does is it helps one another and it helps you. So love each other. And yes, there are situations right now that are less than ideal for all of us. And none of us want to relive this. And it's challenging and it's hard. But in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our annoyances and, and just all of, the, all of the situations we find ourselves in as a result of all that's going on right now, don't become jaded. Don't allow your heart to become hardened and just keep loving each other. And that's not easy to do, obviously, but that's one of the reasons that, that the Apostle Paul was so proud of the church in Thessalonica, because even though it wasn't easy to do, it was what they were doing. They refused to blame God when times got tough, and they continued to love each other. And it's easy when times are tough to grumble at each other, to complain about each other. It's easy to, to try to turn against each other, and, and we just that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The answer is to love one another when you feel like it and to love one another, especially in times you don't feel like it. He goes on and he writes, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. While you suffer, know that this suffering isn't lost on God. God considers it just to repay those who afflict you. Did you, did you catch that? He says, in the midst of all your suffering, in the midst of those who have turned against you, in the midst of your hardship, don't feel like you don't have an advocate. And not only do you have an advocate, your advocate is the creator. Your advocate is the one who's ultimately in control. Your advocate, when it seems like you have no advocate, your advocate, when it seems like there's nowhere for you to turn, your advocate is God himself. And he considers it just to repay those who afflict you? That's what Scripture says. So let me challenge you with something. It's time to let go of some things. It's time to let go of some things. Stop feeling like you have to get even all the time. Stop feeling like because somebody did you wrong, you need to repay that. And let go. And let God handle it. And I know that right now you're thinking, but Brian, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know the whole story. You don't know the hell that I had to go through. You don't know what I've endured. You don't know. It's easy for you to say, let go of something, but you don't know what I've been through. And you're right. I don't but I know what it's doing to you. And so do those closest to you. If they're even still close to you. Because sometimes, because you've experienced some horrible hurt, and your desire to get even, you've built a prison 
around yourself. And your desire for justice, your desire to get even, has destroyed you. And the offer that your Creator has extended to you is for you to take what you can't control anyways and let go of it and give it to God who ultimately can control the outcome and can control what happens, who loves you And can advocate for you more than you could ever advocate for yourself. And I know the hurt is very real. And I'm not trying to diminish your pain. And I know the suffering that you've endured. Something you wouldn't wish upon anyone and I would never wish upon you. But I also know the longer that you hold on to that, you become a shell of who God created you to be. And you become overcome and overwhelmed with vengeance and repaying people. And that is all that you can see. God says, let me handle it. I want you to take yourself back if you could. It's when you were in school. I mean, nowadays, everything's, everything's bullying. Bullying's the buzzword, and, and so everybody's on high alert for that. I, I grew up in the, the late 80s and early 90s when that didn't exist, and bullying was, was part of life, or, or so it was thought. And I remember one time... There was there was a kid who was, who was bullying me on the bus, and it wasn't anything major, but it was an annoyance, and I felt like I'd, I'd talk to people about it, and it didn't go anywhere, and it was just really, really frustrating to me. And one night, I just something had happened on the bus. I had a brand new sweatshirt on that I loved, and and they just jacked it up. They ripped the string out. And I mean, in hindsight, it's, it's something very small. But at the time, it, it was a really big part of my world. And I remember I was so frustrated and I was just so fed up. And I was just in a bad mood all day, all day. At school, I was in a bad mood and I told people about it, but it didn't really do anything about it. And I got home and I was in a bad mood. I was in a bad mood towards my family. And I went to bed that night in a bad mood and I couldn't sleep and just kept getting up and getting glasses of water just because I couldn't sleep and I was mad. And I would just lay in bed and then I'd get mad that I couldn't fall asleep. And so I'd get up and fill up my glass with water, take a sip and like throw the rest of the water down the drain just so I could get back up out of bed after a while. And, and, and finally, my parents are like, What's, what's wrong? What's going on? And I told him a little bit of the history of, of the kid who'd, who'd ripped, the, ripped the, the string out of my hoodie and, and what was going on. And I just remember the resolve of my parents, and they said, we'll handle it. 
I'm like, oh no, what's, what does that mean? Because I, I was just starting to get in the age where it's really not cool to have parents and you don't want anybody to know that you have parents. You'd rather the world not know that you have parents. It's like drop me off a mile away and I'll walk even though it's raining rather than be seen with my parents. I was just at the start of that age and I'm like, this is gonna be, oh no, what, what are you gonna do? They said, we're gonna handle it. And um, they, they wrote a note and they sealed it and uh, they... They made me give it to a couple people, and, and they followed up, and I never had a problem with that bully again. My parents took care of it. I had tried. It didn't work. I was frustrated. And I wanted to handle it. All that that did was destroy my day. And you have a father who has seen your hurt. He's seen what you've endured. He has seen what's come your way. And his promise to you is that he's got it. That he will handle it. The challenge for you is to let him. And this takes trust. And this takes patience. And this takes us submitting to the fact that God's ways are better and higher than ours, and we need to let go and let God handle what we've endured. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now Christmas is coming. Christmas is a time we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. We celebrate the arrival of Jesus as a helpless baby. He came in full humanity. He came in full humanity to save us and that is something that we eagerly look, for, look back upon we look forward to Christmas every year, but we look back upon it, upon the, the anxiousness, upon the arrival of our Savior as a helpless baby who came to seek and to save us. And God in His love for us did that. And in His love for us, God has given us all a choice. He's given us all a choice of whether or not we would accept and embrace the salvation that is offered to us from our Savior. That He has not forced it upon any of us, but given all of us the freedom to choose whether or not we would accept to, to be a follower of Jesus. But what we're told is that there is coming a time where Jesus is coming back to this earth, and it's not as a helpless baby. It's not to lay in a manger. The Savior has already provided the sacrifice so that we could find redemption and we could be restored to our Creator. What's next is our Savior is coming with vengeance. And for those that do not know Him, 
This is a sobering reality. As he continues in verses 9 and 10, they who do not know God, they who do not have a relationship with Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. This is God's judgment. And this is God's judgment against those who do not have a relationship with Him. This is the judgment for those who've said to God, no thank you, I want no part of you in my life. I want you to have nothing to do with me, and I want nothing to do with you. For those who've rejected the payment for our sin that Jesus initiated and offers to us, and God says, I'm not going to force myself upon anyone. I'm giving everyone a choice. And for those who choose to not follow me, for those who have decided that they don't need a Savior and don't have a relationship with Jesus, God honors that desire. And for eternity, God grants them the wish that they've made. That they would not follow Him. And that God would not be part of their existence. In a place that the Bible calls hell. And the hopelessness, the hopelessness and the greatest turmoil of hell is the absence of the presence of God. That's the greatest turmoil, the absence of the presence of the Lord. And this is something we can't even fathom. We can't even fathom this. Because while we live in a broken and a fallen world, still everywhere we look, we see the glory of God on display. Everything around us declares the glory of God. We cannot even fathom, as broken as this world is, we cannot fathom an existence apart from from the presence of the Lord, and yet we are told, we are told that that's what hell is. And the hopelessness of a godless existence is described here against the glory of God's plan of redemption and reconciliation. Those are the choices. You can be part of reconciliation. You can be part of redemption. You can be restored to the reason you were created. And that's a relationship with your creator and spend forevermore with the God who loves you and created you. Or you can choose. Tell God you want nothing to do with Him. And you want to be your own God. And you don't need a Savior. And you do things your way. And what Scripture says is your destination is a place with the complete absence of the presence of the Lord. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by His power. He says, we pray that you will live consistent 
with what you proclaim. We pray that your lives will bear what your lips proclaim. That as you talk about the goodness and the glory and the love of God, that your life is full of goodness. That you sing and you shout and you go on and on about the glory of God and you love one another. And we already know that that's something that they're excelling at. Their love for one another. And he says, we pray that this is is more than just words for you. We pray this is your lifestyle. That you would live a life where you do good. Where you do good. Why? Why is this so important? Why is it so important for us to do good? Why is it so important for us to live lives of love? Well, he tells us in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do good? Ultimately, we do good for God's fame. Ultimately, we do good, not for people to look at us and say, oh, he's such a nice guy, he does so many wonderful things. That's that's not what it's about. We ultimately do good as people who follow Jesus for God's fame, to advance the message of love and of hope and the goodness of God. So what does all this mean for us? What does all this mean for us? Well, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this week, this week, make it a point every single day to do one good thing for somebody else. Every single day, make it a point to do one good thing for somebody else. And that can look that can look different for all of us, and it should look different for all of us. Maybe it's you buy somebody a gift. Maybe it's you buy somebody's cup of coffee. Maybe it's you go over and you serve somebody. You know, this can, this can look so different for all of us. And whatever God puts on your heart and however God has wired you, listen to those passions that God has given you and listen to the urging that God has put on your heart. But make it a point every single day for the next week as, as we are people who love Jesus and follow him, make it a point to do good and to do at least one good thing every single day. Why? Because our love will be known. And it will be seen. And it will be noticed. And in a time right now where people are full of angst and anxiety, And hopelessness abounds. It makes the message of love that much louder. And it makes the hope of Jesus that much more real to them. Ultimately, for God's fame and His glory, so that they may experience hope as we have experienced hope, and that God may be glorified in our lives. So starting today, starting this afternoon, in the next seven days, let's do one good thing a day 
And then if God does something cool through one of your one of your events or one of the things that you do, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email. Let us know what God has done. But I hope and I pray you'll take us up on this challenge. That for the next week, starting today, we would do seven good things for people. One a day. And ask God that we would live lives of goodness and love. And that he would work through us. God, I pray that we would be people who, who love each other. And Lord, I pray that as we grow in our faith, our love for each other would increase. I pray for the person who's hurting. I pray for the person who's been a victim. I pray for the person who's endured things that we wouldn't wish upon anybody. And I pray, God, that you would let them let go of that. That they could fully heal. Not that they would minimize what happened to them. But they would trust you with that hurt. And they would turn that situation over to you. God, I, I pray that as all of us have people in our lives who have chosen not to have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that you would just put them on our hearts. And Lord, if you'd give us an opportunity just to show them love, that we would take it. And Lord, if you open up that opportunity to have a, to a conversation, that we would have that conversation and not be worried about trying to have everything figured out or have all the right words to say, but just be willing to share with them what you have done for us and the hope that they could experience through your son, Jesus. I pray, God, if it's boldness, that you'd give us boldness. I pray, God, that you would just work on the hearts of the people that we know and the people that we love who need a relationship with you. And God, as they ask us questions, we would answer them. And as there's opportunities, we could just share with them the goodness that comes from knowing you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our redemption. We thank you for our restoration. And Lord, we just pray that as we seek to do good, you would use these efforts in ways greater than we can imagine. And you would work in others' hearts and lives through what we do. God, use us. That's our prayer. We're broken and we're flawed and we know it. But you love us anyway. And so help us love others in the same way you've loved us. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.